Hello, everyone, and welcome to Six Pack of Facts, a weekly way of expanding your brain six refreshing facts at a time. My name is Alex, and this week I've got a major sweet tooth. Get ready for cavities and put your bee suits on. It's time for sugar and honey. To start our sweet journey of facts, let's examine sugar on a chemical level. Chemically, sugar is an umbrella term that encompasses a family of carbohydrates, including monosaccharides, disaccharides, oligosaccharides, and polysaccharides. The simplest of these, monosaccharides, are typically made of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen atoms that have names ending in os, such as glucose, a monosaccharide created during photosynthesis and one that's coursing through your bloodstream right this second, and fructose, found occurring naturally in fruits and in some root vegetables. When two monosaccharides like each other very, very much, they come together in sweet, sweet chemical love and form disaccharides. One of these, sucrose, a combination of glucose and fructose, is what probably pops into your mind when you hear the word sugar. Take a bunch of sucrose from sugarcane or sugar beet, refine it down by removing its molasses, and presto, you've got yourself some table sugar. Other disaccharides include the milky lactose, glucose and galactose, and the appropriately named maltose, a disaccharide made from two molecules of glucose and found in certain grains, including barley, which is then made into malt, which is then made into beer, which is then splashed down my gullet. Oligosaccharides and polysaccharides are compounds made up of increasingly large chains of monosaccharides. Oligosaccharides typically contain 3 to 10 monosaccharides, while polysaccharides can chain thousands of monosaccharides together. Different forms of sugar have different sweetness levels, and since the accidental discovery of the artificial sweetener saccharin in 1897, scientists have been testing compound after compound with the goal of measuring just how sweet sweet can be. To measure the sweetitude, scientists give a test panel samples of water sweetened to various amounts. First, the panel gets a pure water sample. Then, they're given samples with higher concentrations of whatever substance they're testing. When the panel can detect a change in taste, which doesn't always register as being noticeably sweet, they've found the threshold value. These values are compared to one another to accurately track the sweetest compound in all the land. Let's take a look at the sweetness of various sweeteners. Sucrose, normal table sugar, is our baseline, a 1 on the sweetness scale. Lactose, 0.16. Glucose, around 0.8. Fructose, around 1.75. So far, pretty small potatoes, I know, but here's where things really kick into gear. Aspartame, found in artificial sweeteners like NutraSweet, 180 to 250. Sucralose, commonly known as Splenda, 600. Thaumatin, a flavoring agent that slowly builds a sweet taste on the palate and then leaves a licorice-like aftertaste, 2,000. And the king, Lugdename, which is estimated to be between 220,000 and 300,000 times sweeter than sucrose, although it hasn't been approved as an additive just yet. 
Most of the sugars we're familiar with are sweet and not much else. There are some, however, that stretch far beyond the dinner table. In 2019, an international team of scientists discovered ribose and other bioessential sugars in two meteorites. Now, you won't be sprinkling ribose on your cereal anytime soon, but we all have an important connection to it. Ribose is a crucial component of RNA. Ribonucleic acid is a messenger molecule, taking genetic instructions from DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, and bringing them to molecule makers in cells called ribosomes. This was a big discovery. Other building blocks of life, such as amino acids, have been found in meteorites, but not RNA, and never DNA. This seems to indicate that ribose, a humble sugar, traveled through space, smashed into Earth on a meteor, and quite possibly contributed to the evolution of RNA, paving the way for life as we know it. So sugar may have helped seed the planet for life, but it was a long time before we could take advantage of the table variety. Before that, humans looked to a golden beacon of sweetness, honey. Imagine this, you're an ancient human living your ancient life about 10,000 years ago. The sweetest thing you've ever had the pleasure of tasting, fruit. One day, you stumble across a beehive, and even though it's buzzing with danger, a glistening shimmer catches your eye. You brave the bees, and for whatever reason, you sweet-craving lunatic, you decide to pop some of the sticky substance in your mouth. You, my friend, have just tasted honey for the first time, and it blew your freaking mind. It blew a lot of minds, in fact, so much so that civilization after civilization had myths explaining and, in some cases, almost deifying honey and bees. But for a long time, thousands of years, getting your hands on honey was a matter of finding a wild hive. Not too reliable. The ancient Egyptians developed makeshift hives out of old logs or tree trunks, but it wasn't ideal for the bees. Then, a breakthrough. In 1851, a clergyman named Lorenzo Langstroth created the Collateral Hive, now commonly referred to as a Langstroth Hive. With this invention, honeycombs could be easily lifted out, harvested, and then placed back into the hive structure. Langstroth devised this design based on the concept of bee space, gaps between the combs large enough to prevent them from sticking together but small enough for bees to carry on with their tasks without sealing them up. Modern archaeologists have discovered a lot of amazing things in Egyptian tombs, but there's one that's especially sweet. Jars of honey, thousands of years old, and still edible. Raw honey has a long shelf life, like an eternal shelf life, and it's thanks to a symphony of components all working together in perfect harmony. First, honey is, wait for it, a sugar. And sugars are hygroscopic. That means they contain very little moisture in their natural states. This is a death sentence for most microorganisms and bacteria, and without them to spoil the honey party, that honey party ain't gonna spoil. Honey is also very acidic, 
clocking in around 3 and 4.5 on the pH scale. If the smothering, moistureless environment doesn't kill something first, the acidity will. Lastly, honey, of course, comes from bees, and these buzzing friends provide another layer of defense against spoilage. When a bee regurgitates nectar into a comb during the honey-making process, a stomach enzyme called glucose oxidase mixes with the nectar. This creates two byproducts, gluconic acid and something that doesn't mix well with microorganisms at all, hydrogen peroxide. So, if you forget about a jar of honey in your pantry for, I don't know, a couple thousand years or so, no worries. It'll be just fine by the time you crack it back open. Because the honey-making process involves the pollination of various plants, the substance can have slightly different colors and flavors depending on what lucky flower a bee decided to visit. Here are just a few. Avocado honey is dark in color with a rich, buttery taste. Eucalyptus honey varies in color because of the more than 500 species of eucalyptus plant, but it typically has a stronger flavor with a slightly medicinal scent. Buckwheat honey is dark, full-bodied, and has been found to contain more antioxidants than lighter honeys. Speaking of antioxidants, honey has a number of health benefits. Thanks to its antibacterial properties, honey has been shown to fight staph infections and a bacteria that causes peptic ulcers. It has also outperformed over-the-counter cough suppressants, been shown to be effective in boosting athletic endurance, and, although only in lab settings, shows promise as an anti-cancer and preventative for heart disease. And with that, our saccharine and sticky episode comes to a close. Until next week, stay sweet, and as always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.